Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of the Feel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. And I'm Jim. And we are all the way back in your ear holes again today. We are happy to be here. Jim, how the fuck are you doing, man? You know, all is quiet on the Western Front. Uh, things are going well. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's just been a really good start to the summer, I think. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of it plays out now that we can actually go out and be social again. I just bought some concert tickets today to go and see a show. Ooh, who'd you uh, got? I have a couple more concert tickets. Well, uh, this here's another weird plug. Uh, I fall down these YouTube rabbit holes, as we all do. As you do. And there's a band, I think I probably mentioned them before on the podcast, I think I have, because they're tremendous. It's a, uh, a Russian band that covers the band mm. Chicago, the horn mm-hmm. band from the 60s, called Leonid yeah, and Friends, yeah. and they're fantastic. Um, they had we to delay about their tour the last co- year. We talked about them during the cover episode, and they were fantastic. Yeah, oh, that's right. I, I, know, I knew that I brought them up before, I couldn't remember when, but they are going to be hitting the States and doing a tour, and uh, I just got tickets to see them in July. Uh, and, and it's going to be surreal and crazy to see this band that I've seen on YouTube thousands of times, and they're going to come to my town, and I'm going to go and see them, so I'm looking very forward to that. I'll have to see if they're hitting any Pacific Northwest states. That'd be fucking amazing. They they're are, great. We I talked mean, you know, about them being so perfectly Chicago spot on, yeah. And, and, and who isn't, at least a little bit. Come on. Don't lie. You know, I mean, I, that's another band like we talked about uh, in the last episode that I borrowed from my parents. It's, they kind of hit in the 60s, and they... Had a career uh, cranking out hits through the 80s, but uh, Chicago is another one of those bands that was a big part of my musical upbringing. So seeing these guys, the devotion they have and covering those guys, it's uh, it's inspiring to see, and it's going to be even better to see live. I agree. And, and like I said, I, I, I think that'd be great. I'm going to have to take a look and see if they uh, got any uh, Pacific Northwest states. That'd be cool to see them. But, uh, uh, so anything else going on for you? Just kind of settling into the, the summer routine now? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the weather is warmer uh, up here in Wisconsin. It, it took a while. We actually had uh, some pretty cold and rainy days uh, a week or two ago where it was still like in the mid-40s and there was some drizzle coming down that made things kind of miserable. But, you know, I think summer is finally here. Um, the days are warm, they're sunny, they're humid. And, uh, you know, I could do without the humidity for the most part. But uh, still, it's a, it's, it's a good time to get out and, and do some picnics and see some friends and just kind of enjoy soaking up everything life has to offer now that, uh, you know, we're sort of looking at COVID receding rapidly into the rearview mirror. Yeah, I, uh, we had my daughter, uh, Maria, had her 10th birthday this last weekend. And so we, uh, we took her to uh, the zoo in Tacoma. Now, they're still doing some... And they didn't uh, keep her? Rim shot. I tried to leave her there. They wouldn't let me. <laughs> but uh, we had, they, they're still doing a lot of like COVID prevention things. Like you have to wear a mask in public. And, and yeah. uh, you have to it's have for like the best. A, a reserve ticket, like a time ticket. And in yep. fact, uh, my wife was stressing, as my wife does, about uh, getting there perfectly on time because we didn't want to lose our reservation because it was quite expensive for the four of us to go. And uh, I'm like, oh, well, they, they won't be that on it i mean i'm sure they'll let you fudge no we were leaving the zoo after we were done like three hours in holy shit uh we were leaving the zoo and there was a karen at the front of the line who had printed out tickets for (laughs) her time zone but she didn't want to go at her appropriate time uh even though the website everything all over the website point of finance website says your time is your time well they gotta enforce crowd limits right and exactly that and so she showed up uh, several hours late because, well, you know, they wanted to sleep in or do whatever they were going to oh, do. Yeah. And, and they wouldn't let her in. And she was having a, a, a Karen conniption fit at the time and <laughs> and uh, talking about, you know, when can I get in then with these tickets? And 
uh, the lady uh, had to tell her, you can't. <laughs> no, you <laughs> your, missed your window. Best bet is to go back online and repurchase tickets. I mean, we can, we'll submit you to uh, potentially get reimbursed, but I'm not holding out hope for it because it's clearly delineated on the website that this. We didn't is write that out for procedure. our health. We yeah. actually meant that. So. You know, and I remember years ago, I used to, I bounced to this club in Milwaukee right around the same time that all those folks tragically died in that great white fire in uh, New Jersey. Yeah. And pyrotechnics caught the batting on fire. I remember. And uh, so there was a, a real movement there for a while to uh, to enforce crowd limits at clubs. And I worked at a club that um, did DJ dance some nights and had live music some nights. And I, I worked at the door. And uh, I had to have a little metal clicker in my hand. That, that One was people in, one was people out. And if those two clickers didn't add up to 300, which was the capacity of the club at the time, then the uh, the cops could come by and take a look at them and they could shut us down or do a head counter, anything like that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you these, these things, people don't realize. They, they want to get up to the front of the line. They want to bitch. They want to complain that, hey, I paid my money and I want to see the movie or whatever it is. Um, but they don't get that those those things, they're not just trying to be controlling dicks. They, those, those are for your, your health and for your safety. Follow the fucking rules, people, and you won't have these problems. Yeah. But my freedoms! Yeah, okay, whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, it was a pretty good experience. It was, uh, like like you said, it's coming into summer, and it's a bit more humid, especially up here towards uh, Point Defiance is right on the, uh, the, the sound, and so it's very uh, uh, muggy, and <laughs> it was hot as shit. Yeah. I went there wearing a sweatshirt, and uh, by about an hour into the whole thing, I'm, like, having to carry this sweatshirt around with me, which I absolutely hate lugging shit around. But I wasn't going to be the and, guy uh, to tie the sweatshirt around my, my waist and do that shit. Well, especially because, like, what what what, uh, what sweatshirt what, uh, sweatshirt did you have on there, see? Oh, that was my uh, the prototype for the uh, Feel Your Fandom sweatshirt. I really like oh. it. Oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm still working. The getting real envious of that. I'm working on finding uh, vendors actually for Feel Your Fandom merchandise. So if anyone out there has got any kind of idea what type of merchandise you'd like to see, I know I want to do a T-shirt that says our catchphrase: "Everything is fandom, and fandom is everything." And uh, I've got these wonderfully uh, done logos done by my my good friend Eric Trotman of Fedora Monkey Studios and. I would love to get those put on uh, some swag, but let me know what uh, kind of stuff you want to see. Hit me up in the the Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash feel your fandom. Let me know what you want to see, and uh, we can work at getting that done. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was an overall, it was a very, very warm, very good trip. Uh, people were mostly respectful around the zoo, and uh, we had a good time. My daughter certainly enjoyed herself, and uh, brought her home, and cooked her steak, and did all that, and... Uh, she ended up wanting to watch Lord of the Rings for her birthday, so we ended up staying up super late and watching three quarters of Return of the King. And of course, that is the extended editions because you don't fuck around at your house. Four and a half hour long movie. We got like three hours into it. It's like okay, we absolutely have to go to bed. Fucking yeah. fucking fading here. So, uh, but she's digging it, and, and that's super awesome for me. So, but. It's got to be gratifying as a parent to see your kids turn into just as big a nerds as you are. Absolutely. My son revels in it. It's fantastic. But overall, a pretty good weekend. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, going forward now. We've also got, of course, our uh, June 12th at noon, which uh, as of the recording of this podcast, it should be the next episode, I think. Wow. And uh, I'm excited about that. So... 
yeah. We, yeah, we will be uh, doing our first live Facebook recording. And so uh, if you guys want to take part in that, we definitely would welcome your, uh, your input, your opinions, your questions, comments, concerns, complaints. Uh, you can hit us up uh, on our Facebook page to find uh, the link to that event. Uh, it is uh, facebook.com forward slash fuel your fandom. Uh, we will be doing that on June 12th at noon Pacific time. Noon Pacific time, yeah. Uh, so jump in, uh, be a part of the conversation. As always, you can find us also on our Gmail, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on our alternative Gmail, which is fyftalentbooking at gmail.com, where we accept show suggestions, guest suggestions, especially if it's yourself, and the ever-present pie recipes. And if not you getting find enough us pie recipes. Your, no, gotta get gotta, hit us up with those pie recipes, ladies and gentlemen. I, I want to try some new pies, and, and I, I can't do it without your help. And if you want to find us at our primary streaming site, that is fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. But of course, as always, we are available at any of the fine podcast portals like iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, you know, pick your poison and uh, download us and give us a listen. We always appreciate your patronage and your ear holes, and uh, we hope we'll make it worth your time. Absolutely. So... Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Today's episode is going to be another installment of the Fuel Your Fandom Nerd News Nexus. Yeah, there's just so much nerd news out there, man. We just did this fairly recently, a couple episodes ago. But you know, being as things the way are the way they are, uh, post COVID here. Well, I, I don't, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of things. I don't want to keep on saying post COVID because we're not out of the woods yet. But the horizon is rapidly approaching when we'll be on the other side of this thing. So because movie theaters have been shut down, because concerts haven't been, TV shows haven't been shooting, there are a lot of entertainment entities that are really starting to ramp up their efforts again now that it's uh, in many quarters and in many ways safe to do so. So there's just been an absolute deluge of nerd news uh, of your favorite superheroes, your comic books, your your music, your video games. All this shit is starting to get going again in earnest, and we're here to uh, to keep you up and up on all the goings on, and it's just kind of how we roll and what we do. Plus, I've just been having a real fun time like searching out these news articles for this specific reason. I mean, it's just a lot of fun, and, and I really enjoy it, so... Uh, we're going to start out with a couple, and uh, we'll do the same thing. Start out with a couple, take a break, start out with a couple, take a break, and, and do what we do. And uh, the first one, now these are not in any kind of particular order. They're not sorted by, you know, importance or anything like that. Uh, it's just kind of as they hit. And uh, so some of them may be a couple days old. Some of them might be fresh, fresh, new. And by the time you hear it, it's probably already been circulating. But in case you aren't paying attention, like I don't pay attention usually, uh, <laughs> One of the biggest news things to hit in the last two weeks, Amazon has purchased MGM Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer Studios for $8.45 billion, with a B, dollars. Billion. And it's like we talked about when uh, in the episode with Aaron, where when Disney bought Star Wars, when Disney bought Marvel, the amount, the insane, or Fox, the insane amount of money that they're splashing out to acquire these studios, when you think about it, I mean, you, it's a billion with a B, 
But they wouldn't be laying out that kind of cash if they didn't think they could make it all back and then some by snapping up their rights to the uh, the series and the intellectual properties that are that are beholden to that studio, uh, the stuff that they have in the pipe that's coming up. As much money as they just laid out for it, they're going to make it all back and then some, and that's what makes it a good investment. But well, and it's it all still... it's all a, an effort to to control streaming rights, and, and it's it's yeah. absolutely the new wave of things to come. So. And it's a seismic sea change on a level with something like Disney buying Fox. Because, I mean, there are sort of like antitrust rumblings that I've heard that are sort of circulating, swirling a little bit. Because, you know, there aren't that many major studios left. There's uh, Paramount, there's Sony, which is owned by, I believe, Disney now. I think they did buy them, uh, as well as Fox. And um, MGM is, of course, one of the great old venerable movie studios from the dawn of movie making. Mm-hmm. You know, they used to have Douglas Fairbanks under contract, for fuck's sake, back in, like, you know, the, the, when, when motion pictures first became a thing that you could go and do. So MGM is a company with a more than 100-year history. It's huge. And this upstart little Amazon company that I've been hearing so much about just swung <laughs> in and just bought them for almost $9 billion. Yeah, and so crazy. that means they get the rights to James Bond. That means they get the rights to countless franchises that have proven popular and lucrative over the years. But more than anything, it's a, indicative of a major sea change in how we consume media. Uh, and not just over COVID, when all of us have been home streaming things on Disney Plus and Amazon Prime and Netflix and all that. Uh, for... An upstart company, an internet company that has a major hand in, in filmmaking and, and movie distribution coming in and buying. It kind of reminds me of when Wizards of the Coast bought TSR and Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a venerable company with a rich history and all kinds of devotees. And then they just come along with their money because their product, in that case Magic and in this case Amazon, has proven to be incredibly popular and very lucrative. They just have the money to just buy the entire legacy of this uh, this long-standing media entity and snap it up lock, stock, and barrel and, and then just change the, the media landscape with, with one check. Mm-hmm. And, and like you say, the same thing they did with uh, when they bought, like, I think, what did they pay for uh, LucasArts and Lucasfilms? It was something like $4 billion, And they've made that back times 10, easy, uh, when Disney bought that. So uh, it's, it's all in an effort to control streaming rights. Streaming is going to become this... It's going to be winnowed down, I think, to uh, a select number of platforms. You know, the Hulus and the, even Hulu's owned by Disney. So having yeah. uh, Hulu in the same world as the Disney Plus and, you know, so we'll count that all as Disney. We got your uh, Peacock, which is still free, I believe, ad service free. But uh, you got... But it's owned by NBC Universal. Right. You got your uh, HBO Max. You got your, you know, Paramount Plus, you know. So we're getting to the point where it's going to be a uh, select thing where if it's like exactly why i collect video game consoles i don't ever want to be beholden to uh one particular kind of console if like a specific uh uh, game comes out that's console exclusive and i don't have the console so i don't want to be beholden to that in the same way you're going to want to have all of these media streaming services because hey if you want to watch star trek you better have paramount plus if you want to watch you know these uh uh, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier or WandaVision, things like that, you better sure have uh, Disney Plus. I mean, it, you're going to If you want to go back have... and, and watch shit like The Office, like everybody still loves The Office. It, they, they cried their hot tears of shame when it left Netflix and went to Peacock. It's gotten to the point now where anybody who was a cord cutter who decided they didn't want to pay 70 or 80 bucks a month for cable, yeah, uh, they're now paying at least that much, if not more, for I'm, six or seven different streaming services. I'm guilty of that too. Fragmented. 
I'm guilty. I am too. I pay for Hulu. I pay for Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, HBO Max. Uh, I have them all, and and it's the reason being just exactly what you said. I don't want to have to pick and choose what I watch. If there's anything though that that the convenience of streaming, even though the price works out to be pretty much the same as cable always was, if there's anything that streaming has, it's at least that on-demand flexibility where you can watch things on your own schedule. You Absolutely. can watch them when you want. Absolutely. You know, cable, to a degree, was still on a grid. It was still appointment television. You still had to park your happy ass in front of the TV at an appointed time if you wanted to catch the first-run episode of your favorite series. But streaming, even though the price is the same, the, the, uh, roughly the same if you add it all up, the, uh, the, benefit, the main benefit that it has is that flexibility of viewing. Right, until TiVo came out or DVRs came out and became popular. Because whoever learned how to program a VCR. I mean, I did, but it was not easy. I did too, but it wasn't easy. Uh, Speaking of media distribution and the way things are going and the way things are changing, Kevin Smith, uh, notorious director Uh, of Clerks, Dogma, Chasing Amy, Mallrats, uh, Jay and Silent Bob, Fame, one of my personal uh, heroes. Uh, Geek heroes. I just bought tickets to go to the uh, movie pop-up in Milwaukee when it happens in a couple of weeks. Oh, super jealous. Movie's restaurant. Super jealous. Uh, I actually got to meet Kevin Smith. He was really, really cool. Him and Jay, I got to meet them and, and get their I never met Kevin, but I did, I did meet Jay. I went to a taping of Hollywood Babylon when I was living in L.A. When the, that podcast he does with uh, uh, Ralph Gaiman. Is it Ralph Gaiman? Garmin. No. Garmin. Ralph, Ralph Garmin, Garmin. yeah. Yeah, I, I went to a podcast taping of Hollywood Babylon's, the podcast that Kevin does with Ralph Garman, and uh, Jay happened to be there, and I bumped into him coming out of the bathroom. Hmm. Uh, he was cool as shit and posed for a photograph and, and everything. Oh, yeah, uh, Jay's I, awesome. A couple months ago, I went to a, 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 a taping of Jay and Sal and Bob Get Old, which is the sobriety podcast they do, and they did one of those at a, a, a drive-in movie theater near me. So we got to, I went with a couple friends, and we actually parked and tuned our radio to the, the requisite frequency, and, and uh, those guys were sitting on a little stage, a little cover over them in front of the, the screen, and they got projected on the screen, and that was awesome as shit. So, yeah, I mean, I'm still yeah. I've actually uh, got to see that one live that before COVID. Yeah. I got to see that live at a comedy club in Tacoma. It was fantastic. Uh, but Kevin Smith uh, has made the news recently again, not just for the, his uh, Masters of the Universe take, which again I'm super excited about, but he is in the news now for selling his new movie, his new horror anthology called Kilroy Was Here, as an NFT property. Uh, and what that means is you own the movie. You buy this movie, I believe it's with crypto. Uh, once you buy this movie, it's yours, lock, stock, and barrel, which means you get the distribution rights, you own the movie outright, you get the fucking uh, hard drives with the movie on it. And so yep. you can shelve it if you want, you can release it if you want, I mean, it's all up to you. And Kevin has come out and said that uh, if you buy it and plan to distribute it, uh, he will, of course, assist with... Uh, uh, helping uh, sell the movie and get the movie out there and promote the movie and everything uh, as you would still do. But he's kind of taking it as a way to flip the script on movie distribution, uh, which I don't know. It, it's 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 a curious experiment, I'll say. It is, but he's kind of known for that. I mean, I remember a little while ago he and Jay actually started a... Uh, a company that was kind of like a stock company. I don't remember the name of it, and I should have probably looked it up before this. The but Jay and Silent Bob was Smoking a, Tokens. Yeah, and then he he, he uh, started like a, a movie company where you could sort of like crowdfund movies, not oh, a, was a that specific Legion movie. M? Like, yeah, Legion M. Yeah, that was what I was thinking of, uh, where you could just kind of buy in and buy stock in a movie company and own a piece of the movie. And it wasn't the kind of thing where... Um, 
it was like a crowdfunding thing, although it kind of was. It wasn't like, hey, here's my movie, here's the project I want to put out, fund it and you get it when I'm done. It's just give us money for this nebulous kind of movie studio, we'll make movies, and then you own a part of those movies. It's but like this is a totally different thing. It's yeah, like it's Kickstarter like that, but not, movie, yeah. not tied to any specific project, more just like a, a studio that's going to put movies out, rather than saying, you know, we're going to make a movie called, you know, Silent Bob Goes to the Moon, and you're going to pay for it. But just give us money, and we'll make movies based on that. Dude, but I this, would watch uh, a this NFT movie thing. Called, I'd watch a movie called Jane, or Silent Bob Goes to the Moon. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, we just talked a couple months ago about how, you know, anytime somebody runs out of ideas, they just take their show to outer space, and that's kind of like the hallmark <laughs> of, like, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did it, uh, Jason Voorhees went to space, and it's always like, hey, you ran out of ideas, let's go to space. But I would still watch the shit out of that. But anyway, so, yeah, NFT stands for non-fungible token if you're not plugged into really geeky news like we are. And what that basically means is there's, you get you get the only copy of the thing that exists. And whether that's Jack Dorsey sold his initial tweet as an NFT. Um, there are people who've sold Very pieces recently, of artwork as an NFT. What was that? Uh, yeah. the, the Charlie bit my finger popular right. thing from YouTube. Uh, so is you now can spend a fuckload of money yeah. to own the only copy of that thing that exists. And it kind of reminds me of a couple of years ago, I remember, before... NFTs were a thing before, and they're only very recently a thing at all. I still don't quite understand exactly what the the whole thing is behind it. But, I'm still working on uh, it. I remember the Wu Tang Clan recorded an album, oh, and they produced yeah. one copy of that album, and they said we're going to sell one copy of this album to somebody to the highest bidder. It was whoever like a million buys it, dollars or some shit. Yeah, whoever buys it, you can own this this album, and it's yours forever, and you're the only one who has it. At that point, you can do whatever you want with it, I guess. You could sell copies of it, you could, you know, put it on a file-sharing service, whatever, or you could just be secure in the notion that you're the only person who... All of us, the, the, the Wu-Tang Clan, all of our members, all of our producers, we all collaborated on this album, we made a full album, and you can buy the only copy. And, and who that bought kind of that album, away. Jim? Who bought that album? Fucking Martin Shkreli, the pharma bro who got pinched in the... Uh, in an investigation by, I believe, the uh, Food and Drug Administration for <laughs> buying the, the the rights to produce an HIV drug and then ramping up the cost by like a thousand percent. So he's because a piece of shit, and dickhead. I believe he's still in prison. I think Good. he's still in prison Fuck for something guy. else. For, you know, antitrust uh, or something. I don't know. He did, he did some kind of white-collar, rich-asshole financial crime, and now he's in prison. But he did buy the only copy of the Wu-Tang album that existed, and uh, it still hasn't seen the light of day outside of whatever he did with it. But... Kevin Smith has, has, has better ideas. He made this movie, and Lock, Stock, and Barrel, if you buy it, he'll give you not just the movie, but also, like, like Kev just said, he'll give you all the hard drives, all the footage on it. You own everything having to do with this movie. And at that point, like you said, you can, you can distribute it on your own, you can just watch it and have private screenings in your house, or you can just be like a dragon sitting on a pile of gold and be the only person that's ever seen this movie. <laughs> and it's a Kevin Smith movie. I guess Chris Jericho's in it. It's not like a, a, a small, tiny little movie. It's a fully, it's not like a, a short. He made a full, like, two-hour movie, and he's selling one copy. And from that point, it's yours to do with what you want. Yeah, so hopefully that sees the light of day. I mean, time will tell. We'll find out, and, and we'll talk about it, I'm sure, again. But Kilroy was here. The horror anthology uh, being sold as an NFT is very interesting. Uh, I, I'm curious to see if we're going to have the Martin Shrekley vibe from that or if it's going to be more uh, uh, available and the person will be more human about it. Which, I you guess know, we'll see. Right, because, I mean, I'd like to listen to the Wu-Tang album, but I'm not going to kiss martin shrekley's ass for it so fuck it. um shrekley's a better name for that asshole because he's kind of a troll yeah well let's see we're gonna go a couple quick ones and we'll take a quick break but uh 
uh, let's see, a couple of things with CW. Now, CW uh, does all the uh, uh, superhero shows, the DC superhero shows, Black Lightning, uh, uh, Flash, Arrow, Arrow, Supergirl, Superman and Lois, all those shows. Uh, their particular series, Black Lightning, has just finished and wrapped up, but they had shot a pilot uh, for a spinoff of Black Lightning with uh, the character Painkiller uh, to kind of uh, shop it as, a, as a, a pilot for a new potential series for CW. Uh, CW passed on it. They're, and just Ooh. like they did with uh, uh, the black, uh, the new uh, Black Canary uh, Arrow show that they were going to do a spinoff of out of Arrow, uh, it just didn't get picked up. They had no—I don't know if they had no interest in it, but they definitely didn't uh, purchase it from the pilot. And so, uh, the—I guess there's hope that they might be picked up for HBO Max because that's where a lot of these DC properties go. But uh, not a lot of hope, um, given that there—that would be the only uh, C-Dub pilot that went that way versus uh, from an existing property. So there's really no. Uh, basis for that to hope to exist, unfortunately. And I think that's sad, because the character of Painkiller, I mean, he was pretty good. Uh, It would be an an interesting way to redeem the character who had a very villainous turn for a long time in the series. So, Uh, But it's interesting to note that uh, not everything... You you think with the the superhero shit that they put out, they have almost, almost everything, just throw it at the wall and see what sticks, but apparently that didn't happen, so... It is pretty crappy because, I mean, they've definitely positioned themselves, CW, as being like, we are the outlet for the DCEU TV empire. And, you know, like you said, I mean, some of this stuff can go to HBO Max if it, if it you know, gets picked up. But to position yourself as we are the portal where you can get the entertainment stuff from this universe and for them to just go, yeah, no, yeah, we're not nah. going to do that one. Yeah, it's, nah. it's just a really, it's, it's an awful thing that they, to have that much ability to influence the storytelling when you know the fans would love it you know the fans would eat it up but they're just gonna hand wave it off and say no we're not gonna do it i'll wait till conventions come back and i'll pick up the bootleg of the pilot on a convention circuit that's where i usually see these kind of things i've got a dvd somewhere of the adrian palaki uh wonder woman show i was just gonna mention that that actually was uh, was better than it had any right to be she was pretty fantastic in that she's a great actress i love her but yeah and Uh, you know the uh the orville's is uh they're very trouble season three is uh, apparently still in production. They had to shut down a couple of times for COVID, and um, things have gotten so kind of crappy on, uh, in that whole arm of the universe that uh, Seth MacFarlane has gone on record as saying, "Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of I've lost interest in continuing to pursue this post season three. We'll finish the season we got uh, you know underway, and and it, in the meantime, we moved from Fox to Hulu, and it's just been. I mean, it's one of the best. I hope he changes sci-fi his series. Mind. I, really I hope do. so too. I, I really do. It's it's one of the. I mean, it's it's the best non-trek trek there is. Hulu throw um, money that at his Galaxy ass. Quest. Yeah, yeah, make him come back. Um, but it's one of my favorite series uh, uh, that's on the air, and and it's uh, gosh, it's been somewhere in the neighborhood of like three years since they've had their their last season. I remember watching. It's been a while. The season yeah. finale, and I want to say like uh, 2018. Um, so it's it's been a bit since they they put out any any new Orville. But Adrian Palicki is uh, going to be back on the bridge when they do, and. You know, at least we'll get one more season out of them. Right. Uh, one more thing before we take a break here. Now, CW also has uh, a series coming out based around the Powerpuff Girls, based on the uh, Cartoon Network series of the same name. It's going to be called just Powerpuff. And that is a uh, live-action series, if I'm not mistaken, it right? It is. And, uh, in fact, uh, they had shot the pilot for this show, and I guess 
they didn't like it. It didn't mm. hit the right tone. It didn't hit the right thing that they wanted to do with it. So they scrapped it. Uh, the show is still set to be made, but they are taking the pilot back to the drawing board and doing it again, which is not unheard of. They did it with Star. No. They did it pretty successfully with Star Trek back in the day. With uh, they did it with uh, Game of Thrones as well. Did they? Oh, that's right, they did. I've never yeah. seen the original pilot for Game of Thrones, so. Well, most people haven't, and I know because uh, the guy who I um, had some some uh, uh, dealings with when I was being doing the screenwriting thing, the guy who I. Uh, who, who kind of was my um, inspiration to do a lot of that? Craig Mazin, um, who uh, wrote the last two Hangover movies. He wrote Identity Thief. He just won an uh, Emmy for working on the Chernobyl series for HBO, and he's currently working on the Last of Us series for HBO again. Uh, he knew um, the guys, the creators of uh, of Game of Thrones, not George Martin, but um, what are the names? Benny Off and Weiss. And Weiss and Benioff. Yeah, yeah. And the guys whose names are still kind of poison in the mouths of anybody who watched season eight. But um, <laughs> apparently the, uh, the, the the pilot episode for uh, for Game of Thrones, the original pilot episode, was such utter shit uh, that it kind of made the rounds around town and people watched it just for, uh, they kind of hate watched it out of morbid curiosity. And, and Craig in particular knows those guys really well. They've been a guest on his podcast that he shares with John August, Script Notes. And he let them know, guys, this is not, I mean, I read the books, I was a fan of the books, this is not the way you need to go. So they took it back and retooled it and turned down the suck fader on it, and then didn't dial the <laughs> suck fader back up again until season eight. But still, that first uh, pilot episode for Game of Thrones was just legendarily kind of a pile of dog shit. And, uh, that happens a lot with, with geek culture. Now, talking about Kevin Smith, and uh, I know we get tangential with these things, but Kevin Smith had a pilot that he was not involved with uh, for Clerks, a TV show based yeah. on Clerks, starring uh, Jim Brewer, of all people, uh, in the Randall role. Uh, and... Uh, it did not hit. I actually watched that pilot. You can find it on YouTube. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that out loud, but you can find that on YouTube. And holy shit, it's bad. It's just... And then very famously, he also ran into problems with the Clerks animated series, which did have um, Brian O'Halloran and Jeff Anderson returning to reprise their roles of Dante and Randall. I liked and it. And the animated series, I liked it too. I got the DVD. It's all six episodes on the DVD, but it, it famously hit a very rough patch on TV because they only ever aired two episodes. And... The first episode they aired was, I think, the fourth or fifth episode overall in the series, and it was a flashback clip show episode of things that hadn't happened yet. So I believe it was ABC. <laughs> they severely botched that and only ever aired two episodes, but Kevin Smith, because he is a canny businessman, he did retain the rights to the actual series as much as he possibly could, and he put them out on DVD, and, and uh, that was a real missed opportunity for, uh, for the Clerks animated series, which I really very much enjoyed, but, you know, sometimes shit happens and things don't work out. And then the other shitty pilot that I can remember was uh, Red Dwarf, uh, my, one of my favorite series out of the BBC. Uh, Red Dwarf, uh, which of course has gone on for dozens of years. It's it's been around for a very long time. I want to say since mid '80s. But uh, as as with anything in the BBC that hits, uh, America wants to steal it and do their own version of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so they very uh, notoriously made. Uh, uh, a version of the pilot of Red Dwarf in an American style and only brought one actor over, which was the actor for Crichton, uh, John Llewellyn. John? Dave? I don't know. Llewellyn, who played uh, Crichton. Uh, they brought him over, and uh, they brought, like, Terry Farrell uh, of Star Trek Deep Space Nine fame over to do... Uh, uh, the voice, I want to say she was the computer, I don't know. They're, no, Jane Leaves was the voice of the computer from Frasier. Ah, okay. And, and uh, yeah, and Birko was the Lister role. I mean, it, it's, it's, 
I've only seen parts of it. You, I can only find clips, and it's pretty shit. Start to. But finish. you're right. We have we have a, a really really bad tendency to do that. What my favorite um, BBC well, actually wasn't a BBC show, but it was a British sitcom. Brilliant, hilarious, the IT crowd. I, I still can rewatch that and just laugh like yeah. it's the first time I've seen it. And yeah. they tried to make an American pilot of that as well with uh, Joel McHale. And, and they, they brought, also did the same thing. They brought they, over. They brought uh, the. Yeah. Yeah. Again, they brought over only one actor from the original series. Um, they brought over Richard Ayoade, who played Moss, and who was brilliant. He's one of my favorite people in the world. He's just a, a creator and a writer and an actor and a performer and a comedian. And he's just. He is the physical embodiment of dry British humor, and I love him for that. He's fantastic. But um, they actually reshot the pilot, and pretty much if you watch it side by side with the original British version, it's almost word for word. Beat for beat, But yeah. for some reason, it just really doesn't work in an American accent. It's one of the funniest things ever committed to fucking film if you watch the original British version. But if you watch the American version, it just falls flat on its face and flops the, around like a fish out of water. The British sense of humor and the American sense of humor are so vastly different. There's, there's, a, there's a dry wit that doesn't happen with... Uh, American television is and a self-deprecation that the British have as well, right? And which uh, and you see that in the BBC's office as well. Uh, all of these shows that they try to bring over and import, they don't have that same kind of uh, satirical content. American humor is very much more in your face and very much it's broad. I'm making a joke now, and you know, you don't get yeah. that with uh, it's like you said, it's a bit drier, it's a bit more. Uh, uh, understated understated yeah but we don't do understated here in the united states not well no uh, you won't so... you won't ever see any british slapstick uh you know <laughs> but the british i don't know I, I i've long maintained as much as i love a lot of american series and a lot i watch and i'm a fan of a lot of american television you know the, the british we may have invented television but the british perfected it anything that that, the, that they have is just going to be from from the sherlock series to the it crowd to uh, you know, even uh, something like um, Downton Abbey, it's just so much better written than ours, and I'd also argue better performed. Not that I'm going to bag on American actors, but there is a tradition in the British film and television scene of stage actors, classically trained Shakespearean stage actors, who actually understand things like subtlety and character motivation. And we just, you know, people here want to be celebrities, but people in, in the UK want to be actors. And of course, that's a generalization that's very broad and unfair, but for the most part, you, you won't ever see the American equivalent of an Ian McKellen or a Judy Dench or a, or a Benedict Cumberbatch. They don't exist. Possibly in somebody like a, a Robert Downey Jr. or a Johnny Depp, who really takes their craft very seriously, but... For the most part, you're just going to always have better actors and better writers in the UK. And I, I, that's a, a position that may be controversial, but I'm going to maintain that to my death. Send all your hate mail, too. <laughs> <laughs> and pie recipes. Uh, and pie recipes, yes. Hate mail and pie recipes. That's what we're here for. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will continue on our journey of the Fuel Your Fandom Nerd News Nexus. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Fuel Your Fandom Nerd News Nexus. 
<laughs> okay, so what do I have next for you, Jim? Well, I got uh, Shang-Chi star Simu Liu has written an entire series Bible for ex longtime X-Men character and Japanese mutant Sunfire. Hey. Uh, his goal with this, he wasn't commissioned to do this. He did this all on his own, which shouts out to his talent and his ability. Uh, his goal is to further representation of the Asian people, not just through the roles that he takes, but by creating opportunities for greater representation through writing, directing, and producing. So he's come up with this way, this ability to uh, have an Asian-themed uh, superhero show that is written by Asian authors and stars, Asian actors and Asian producers. And, and he's really just going for it. And, and fuck, am I okay, okay with that? The representation meter goes off the charts for this. And yeah, I, I know I mean, we I'm, haven't branched into X-Men mutants yet. I know the MCU's not quite there yet. But Jesus Christ, what time frame do we have to have to make this happen? Because I am here for it. 100% here for it. Well, it really just speaks to the way that uh, Disney and Marvel these days are hiring their, their performers. We've got these real all-around kind of, um, you know, the fact that he's a writer as well um, is just tremendous. And the fact that he's so invested in this universe that he's saying, yeah, I'm not just going to take the reins of this character that you handed me. That's this fantastic character where you're branching out your representation and your diversity and your, and your heroes and run with it. But I'm also going to try and find other ways to help you to do that again for other characters and other actors to give them other opportunities. And I mean, in particular, um, I remember reading an article pretty recently uh, that uh, something like 40% of all Pacific Islander roles in Hollywood go to Dwayne Johnson. Just one guy, <laughs> you know, which is great. I mean, that's great. He's fantastic. But I mean, come on. There's definitely other folks that are out there that are trying to get work. And it's the same with Asian and Asian American actors. Um yeah, you see a real uh, you know, select I wrote, group, and that's pretty much it. I wrote a screenplay 10 years ago that did pretty well in a contest that was kind of the launch of, of what, what became whatever my screenwriting career was back in the day. I co-wrote that with a friend of mine, and it was set in Chinatown in San Francisco. And even though neither one of us is Asian, uh, we definitely wrote that script for the express purpose. Like, 90% of that cast, of, of the characters that we wrote in that, are Chinese or Chinese-American characters, uh, because that's the world that takes place in. And so I just, you know, really wanted to see this movie for a lot of reasons. I wrote the kind of movie that I wanted to see. But if you look at it, like, you can kind of count back on one hand. Well, let's see. We had uh, Crazy Rich Asians. We had the Joy Luck Club. Any movie that, uh, I guess, Parasite, uh, but even that wasn't an American movie. It was a Korean film. But you just have very little representation of Asian American actors on American film screens. Uh, and that just... That doesn't really hit that some kind of change. weird stereotype. Yeah. Right. It really needs to change, and I think Shang-Chi is going to be a very good uh, example of, of of hoping to maybe correct, a little, to begin to correct that deficit. And I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, I love everybody in it. I think Aquafina is fucking terrific. I liked Nora from Queens. I really liked her in Crazy Rich Asians. Um, you know, it's, there's, there's just so much that, that, that can still be done with that particular demographic, and like you said, I'm here for it. I want to see it continue to, to evolve. And I think Sunfire is a fantastic uh, character to have Amen. his own series because you got this this character that is just he's an asshole. I mean, he's in a long time X Man. He's he's been a villain. <laughs> he's been a hero, but he's a dick. And, and to see this brought to the screen and have just this kind of an anti hero kind of vibe to it, you know, this protector of Japan, and 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 have him 
with all of his fucking baggage intact and, and written in a way that's uh, uh, reverent to the source material and reverent to the culture, I think would be fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I really hope uh, Marvel realizes what a talent they have in Simu Liu and, and decides to work with him on this project. I think that'd be fantastic. Agreed, absolutely. I, you know, I, I know that uh, Shang-Chi is going to be fantastic. It's going to be another great blockbuster Marvel film. Um, and I think they'll do for the same for Shang-Chi the same thing they did for... Because, I mean, really, if you want to look back, Iron Man, as, as huge as we all know that Tony Stark is, uh, the, the shadow of his memory looms over the MCU, Iron Man was not one of the more well-known uh, Marvel heroes when they decided to make a movie about him with, with the eye towards eventually creating the, the Avengers film, which, as we all know, was a multi-billion dollar franchise and right. it kind of was is at the heart of the MCU. Um, so I really, I, 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 and same with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, they're, you know, household names now, but they're kind of a, a third string hero in the comic books, hero collective in the comic books. So for Marvel to be really digging deep and pulling up these heroes that, that really deserve their moment in the sun and, you know, getting them out in front of people, I, I just, I really, I love what they're doing and, and I love that they're, especially like we talked about, I think on the last edition of the Nerd News Nexus when we talked about, um, how the next phase of the MCU is going to be a lot more diverse. There's going to be a lot more female-presenting heroes, a lot more heroes of color, a lot more heroes of diverse ethnic backgrounds, and, and you know, maybe that'll piss off the fanboys a little bit who are used to being able to project themselves on your Thors, your Iron Men, your Captain Americas. But, but you know what? Fuck them. You know, we really need this. We really need this, not just in the MCU, but in the entertainment sphere at large. We need to have representation of people that look more like what America is. I absolutely agree. And I think every time we get an example of representation that, you know, feels real and feels inclusive and feels uh, authentic. genuine, authentic, we get more of an appreciation for not only the material, but people are able to, to grasp it that maybe weren't able to grasp it before. You know, your and Star Trek like... and your Star Wars and, and everything yeah. else. Looking at the the trailer for Shang Chi, it's very much in the wuxia, the the wire foo sort of like, uh, which is a, a very uh, derogatory almost way of saying it, but it kind of became like the uh, the, the Western uh, translation of, of what that art form is, like uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where it's very elegant and it's very balletic, and so we're seeing a little bit of that. We're seeing that particular tradition of, of Hong Kong action cinema get brought into the MCU, and I just I couldn't be happier about that. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, like I said, representation is important. It does matter, and and being able to grasp it and accept it, you know, just brings us closer to unification of all, as a whole. So, uh, let's see. I got some fun stories here, sort of fun. There's a bakery in Milwaukee mm -hmm. that was robbed in mid-April. The police were unable or unwilling to move forward with trying to identify the suspect. Uh, which, of course, did not sit well with the bakery owners because, of course, they want to find the guy who robbed them. Naturally. Uh, the bakery uh, not deciding to take a second seat to this and not letting the police get away with not doing their work decided to print the picture of the suspect from their security cameras on cookies. They printed <laughs> it on cookies and started Fantastic. handing out the cookies with every order. Say, hey. Have a cookie. Oh, by the way, you can eat that. If you see this guy, fucking call us. We'll let you know. Uh, it worked. Yeah. They got their suspect, sent the information to the police, and the police made an arrest. How effing cool is that? You Edible know? wanted posters. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm fucking here for that. That is amazing. 
and 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 just the little guy standing up and saying, "Nah, man, I'm gonna figure this out. This is gonna get done. You're not gonna put me in the back shelf. You know, this is a serious crime, and and we're gonna find who did this, whether you want to or not." And just kind of vigilanteing the shit out of that with cookies of all things is beautiful. Uh, I'm a big I, fan. I'm a big fan. I'm, plus, I like cookies, so uh, maybe we should. You know, instead of putting uh, missing kids on milk boxes and shit, maybe we should start doing uh, uh, cookies and shit. That would well, be- hey, milk and cookies go well together, so why not? Agreed. Let's see. Uh, food-wise, Skittles has announced that they are releasing a variant. Of course they are. But uh, they are releasing an all-lime variant. For any of you who grew up on the original Skittles with the the all-original flavors, the grape, the... The cherry, or no, is it strawberry? Strawberry, grape, lime, orange, and uh, what was the other one? There's five of them, isn't there? Yeah, I don't remember. I haven't eaten Skittles in years. I, they're delicious, but I also, uh, you know, strawberry, don't orange, want to be diabetic. Right, strawberry, orange, grape, lime, and lemon. Lemon. Lemon, that was the other one, yeah. yeah. I remember those yellow but Skittles. They divided, and they took lime out for some reason and replaced it with green apple which okay the green apple skittles all right but it's not fucking lime i like them. it's not what i liked damn it i grew up on the lime and so now i uh, like the green apple but the lime is a legacy flavor so they're bringing out like like they do with the flavor reds for starburst and everything oh you want all pink we'll give you all fucking pink but now they're giving you a package that is all lime which i'm not eating candy right now which is unfortunate but I support really sad. the release of all lime Skittles. I'm here for it. So, Oh, and before I forget, before we get too far away from what we were talking about with uh, Shang-Chi, sure. Sure. I just read a story not too long ago about, um, I'm very excited, the Eternals trailer has dropped. Mm-hmm. And not just a teaser, not just a, you know the actual Eternals no, trailer. A two-minute trailer, and yeah. Holy shit, does it look fantastic. And part of the reason why this trailer was so anticipated and so well received well first of all again if we want to talk about asian representation in movies in general and the mcu in particular the film is directed by chloe zhao who was the director of nomadland which just won best picture at this year's oscars so awesome obviously she's a lady she's uh she is of asian descent she i believe she's chinese so uh chinese american so having her helming up that movie uh, especially after coming off winning an oscar is just huge for women in movies for people of color in movies i love it but the other reason why The Eternals is just so notable is, first of all, the cast. I mean, you've got Kamel Nanjiani, who very famously buffed up Holy for this role. Holy uh, shit, did he Angelina Jolie. Oh, my God. he's mass- Angelina Jolie is in this movie. Um, Salma Hayek is in this movie. So we've got a cast of, of, of incredible actors to, that are, that are bringing this to life. But one of the things that makes this film notable, and this was the, kind of the thrust of the article that I read, was that Chloe Zhao said no green screens. I'm not making movies via the Marvel method. No green screens. All of our settings are going to be practical. We're going really? to real places. We're shooting real landscapes. If we want a beach, we're not going to create it in a computer. We're going to go to a beach, and we're going to shoot on a beach. If we want to do a scene on a mountain, we're not going to create a mountain. In a, we're going to go to a fucking mountain. Com- we're going to go to a fucking mountain. That's and incredible. We have seen... I'm not going to ding the way that Marvel makes movies, even though some others have. You know, if you see, like, the behind-the-scenes things, you've got, like, you know, Dave Bautista with his gray body paint hanging out on a green screen, and they're going to project, you know, the planet Titan behind him for when he beats up on Thanos. And it looks good. It, I mean, it's it's the way they make movies now. It's kind of just kind of how it's done. But Chloe Zhao said no. I, I, I'm a very hands-on kind of filmmaker. I, I don't want to do it that way. And this movie's going to be epic in scope, and I want to have practical scenery. So every shot in that movie 
is in a real set or in a real natural location. And, uh, you know, I saw where Feige said, and it makes a big difference. He said it was expensive. It was definitely a lot more expensive to fly to these places and bring our whole cast to these places and worry about practical things like transportation, catering, and insurance. It was expensive. But I think people are going to get a much better sense of the scope of the epic broadness of this movie when they see these characters set on the background of an actual like Tibetan sunset. So That's that awesome. really just ramped up my anticipation of it. As much as I'm not going to sneeze at what Marvel does when they make movies on green screen because it works and it's great for their universe, there are certain things that are just impractical to create or to build. The fact that Chloe Zhao was, was adamant about having practical scenery, I, I'm, I cannot wait to see what that looks like. That's incredible. Even just the trailer is mind-blowing. I didn't know that. I'm going to go back and look at the trailer now with fresh eyes and see what that means. And, and I'm kind of impressed by that, actually. That's, that's I mean, fantastic. obviously, like the opening scene in the in the, the trailer is like a, a big spaceship coming out of the clouds. But then that was, you know. Not How did they film it on a real spaceship? Right. But the scenery of with all the characters standing on it on, on, a, on a, a craggy mountainside watching it kind of part the clouds and, and appear on the landscape. That's all real. Everything. And it's kind of sad to say that. It's kind of sad to have to say, yeah, none of this is fake. None of it is CGI. None of it is 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 created in a computer. We're not doing in matte paintings. We're not doing CGI backgrounds. It's all real scenery because that's the way they used to make movies. You know, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the way that things always used to be done before we developed the technology we have now. So to kind of go back to that and point out, hey, guess what? It's all real. It's kind of like putting a burst graphic on the front of your food saying, hey, it's all natural flavors. Well, you would hope so. I mean, <laughs> they didn't have, you know, beaver asshole castoratum for your strawberry flavor, you know, 40 years ago. And you actually had to put strawberries in your shit. Um, so it is kind of sad that, that it's, we have to point out, hey, it's actually all real. This, there's nothing fake in this movie. But the way that it looks is just, you, you can def- there's, there's a certain authenticity to it that I think really comes through just in the trailer. And I think it's definitely going to come through in the, in the full movie as well when that finally drops. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have to check that out. Speaking of, you want, you want to see some really excellent segue shit right here? Do it. Okay. The latest in video call stealth innovation comes from R&B Brewing Company out of Vancouver, Canada. They have introduced a discreet way to enjoy a beer while on Zoom meeting calls. The beer is called Green Screen IPA. Uh, (laughs) This beer is in a bright green can and it disappears while you're on camera, making it the perfect secret drink. While you're on these fucking video calls. And I swear to God, I saw some footage of it and it's fantastic. You're in a work meeting, you're fucking drinking beer and nobody can tell. How great is that? Bravo so can you to you. It? Can you. Can you chroma key a different can into your hand? Can you make it look like you're drinking a nice uh, you probably, Sprite or something? Probably, but I think that for the most part it just fucking disappears. Uh, from what wow. I saw, what I saw it just disappeared, so... Well, on the one hand, I'm not a huge fan of getting fucked up at work, but on the other hand, I am a Milwaukee boy. In any context in which you could drink beers and, and do it on the sly, that's absolutely your freedom to do it. I mean, I've worked at ad agencies for a long time, and, and they, they kind of all subscribe to that sort of madman ideal where at the last agency I worked at in Vegas, prior to the one I'm at now, where I'm working from home, and I can pretty much drink a beer whenever I want, but the HR lady herself would come around and put a beer on your desk on Friday afternoons at 2 if you didn't already have one on there because they just wanted to kind of go for that whole... You know, we're creatives. We can have a wet bar in the corner of the uh, of the creative area, and, and that's totally <laughs> fine. But, you know, if, if if you want to drink a beer at work, then that certainly is the way to do it. And like I said, I salute just the innovation behind it, the fucking cheek <laughs> that yeah. they're throwing out there with that. I think it's fantastic. Now, it's ballsy. They need to come up with a wine 
because I, for one, know a lot of people, a lot of teachers, who uh, need some wine while they're teaching because these fucking kids, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, I do. I certainly would send a few bottles to my kids' teachers for sure. But uh, Thanks yeah. for putting up with my kid this year. Right. Green screen beer. Uh, I know a, a friend of the program, Matt Lurie, would probably really get into that idea. So I'm looking forward to trying to see if I can get one of those imported. And if I do, uh, we'll try and throw that in, uh, in one of our podcast recordings <laughs> and see how that works. So. Looking forward to seeing what that looks like. I thought that was exciting and funny and a hell of a, a, a way to jump back into the other topics with talking about green screen. So take that, non sequitur segues. All right, so we've got big news out at Lucasfilm. Dave Filoni, who we talked about extensively with our podcast with Aaron DiArrive, talking about uh, being promoted at Lucasfilms to executive creative director. How exciting that someone with a reverence and a love of the material is getting pushed into a position. Yeah. Yeah, pushed into a position where he can take greater control over something that he clearly cares about which is fantastic news aaron made the point and i agree with him that uh john favreau and dave filoni being in charge of of uh essentially the tv wing of the lucasfilms empire uh has, has just yielded fantastic results i mean the mandalorian is obviously a huge success and like we talked about last time it's uh um a real good on-ramp for a whole new generation of folks to discover star wars and the star wars universe but it's encouraging to me because i remember reading a little while there, uh, that there was some amount of friction in the Lucasfilm arm of the Disney Entertainment Empire because um, of the the amount of diversity that the guys like Favreau and Filoni were trying to bring into the universe by kind of trying to get away. Like we talked about with Aaron, the original trilogy had three very white leads. You had Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, and Mark Hamill. Right. And then there were a lot of fanboys that got pissed off when the most recent trilogy, the to close out the Skywalker saga, had Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, and Oscar Isaac. And we have uh, women and people of color in, in, in the sort of How dare they? cast. And and this is, you know, the, we want white people in outer space. That's the outrage! In our, in our space. Space entertainment. So, but there was, I, I remember reading an article about how there was a lot of, uh, a lot of friction in that particular arm of the Empire because they were talking about, um, like some of, like Kathleen Kennedy and Steven Spielberg, um, not those two in particular. They were not name checked in the article, but the, the folks that worked with them, the old school Star Wars folks, were like, nah, we just, we got to keep things pretty close to the vest and play it safe because there was a lot of, of irritation about how diverse we made the cast in those last couple of movies. And then uh, I remember the, the Filoni and Favreau wing of it saying, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> Seriously, fuck you. We're going to do this because it's the, it's the way the things need to be going. And even though we're a couple of white guys, we aren't going to sit here and idly uh, promote or stand by while while uh, a, a galaxy ago and a, 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 a far a time... F- I'm going to fuck this up. A long time ago and a galaxy far, far away, um, we, we've got just a bunch of white dudes we have to try and bring in a little more diversity into the human presenting cast and we're going to do that whether you want us to or not and so to see dave filoni get promoted to such a uh, a position of influence within that within that company means that they kind of won on some level and i'm very very happy to hear it absolutely speaking of uh, lucas arts and lucas films uh it looks that uh uh the rangers of the new republic series that have been announced uh back at the d23 expo uh, 
will not be moving forward at Disney Plus. It's not on the agenda as of now. I haven't heard the word officially canceled, but looks like it's probably done. Uh, and speculation on that is, of course, because of the uh, actress who played Cara Dune, of course, our good friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't even want to say her fucking name. Whatever. Yeah, let's not give her the the, the press. But because of her being fired at, at Disney and 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 rightly her so, supposed to being a big part of this program, it looks like they've kind of just uh, shuffled that one off and. They've got enough properties where, you know, that's not a huge loss. I mean, anyone ex- looking forward to, like, uh, Cops in Space uh, is going to, of course, be upset. <laughs> but uh, uh, the fact of the matter is, is they've got enough properties on the line and still going concerns that it's not that big a deal, I don't think. So, uh, fairly They're hardly well, hurting for, for, for properties that they can, they can uh, create entertainment out of. Fairly well, Rangers of the New Republic. We maybe hardly knew ye. Maybe they'll make a book. Uh, one more. We'll take a quick break. Uh, Hocus Pocus Two has been greenlit on, I believe, Disney Plus. I think Disney's making that one. That's what I saw. And uh, will be greenlit for twenty twenty two, bringing back all of the original actresses, uh, which Bette Midler and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, and then I forget the Kathy Najimy. Kathy Najimy, yes, yeah, she's fantastic. She's funny as shit. Uh, yeah, and, and that and that of course uh, was a movie that that kind of found. A whole second life, um, kind of along with like movies like Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, these very seasonal Halloween films. Hocus Pocus didn't do great on its initial theatrical release, but it really found a home on home video, and it was just one of those movies that you kind of come back to and watch every year at Halloween, and it developed a real cult following and a real beloved fan base, and for years they've been kicking around the idea of doing a sequel, but uh, it just never came together. But it's going to happen. It's in the pipe. Uh, it's going to start shooting and, and uh, should be coming out uh, hopefully by Halloween. Uh, 2022, I think. Yeah, Halloween 2022. Ah, see? All right. Yeah. But it looks like that's a go. And, of course, the stars are all excited. I mean, I'm not a huge Sarah Jessica Parker or Bette Midler fan, but uh, that movie does hold a specific kind of place. You know, like you said, it's very thematic and very uh, uh, just reverenced in that it's perennial area. perennial favorite. So, yeah, so... Uh, Looking forward to seeing what that does. So we are going to take a real short break, and when we come back, we will wrap up this edition of the Fuel Your Fandom Nerd News Nexus. Welcome back to the Fuel Your Fandom Nerd News Nexus. We're going to start out with some sad news now. Uh, we're going to shift things over. A couple of notable uh, fandom deaths over the last couple weeks here. Uh, Samuel Wright, the voice of Sebastian the Crab from The Little Mermaid, died at age 74 of yeah. prostate cancer. And, uh, oh, that's a hard one. He was a great... Uh, Tony almost, I think it was Tony nominated for the, yeah. for that, uh, and, and I think it was for the Lion King, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, so Samuel Wright was a actor, 
of course, he did Sebastian the Crab and the Little Mermaid, and uh, he did later on receive a Tony Award nomination for his performance as Mufasa in the Broadway version of The Lion King. And uh, he died at home uh, May 24th. So that's always sad to say. Uh, yes, it is. We don't like seeing uh, the people that we uh, have grown fond of die, but uh, again, in this ever-evolving entertainment industry, it's bound to happen. We were just talking about Queen and Aerosmith and how old uh, Brian May and, and Steven Tyler are, and we all know uh, it's, we all know it's inevitable, it. but we don't want to think about it. So that was sad to see. And then, of course, uh, I believe it was a couple of days ago as of this recording... Uh, so I want to say it was like the 27th or 28th of May. We lost Gavin McLeod, who of course was Captain Steubing uh, mm-hmm. from the Love Boat. Uh, he died at age 90 from seemingly natural causes. And So yeah, so Ed Asner, uh, I found out about Gavin McLeod from Ed Asner's Twitter. He posted a picture of, of, uh, of he and Gavin on the set of the Mary Tyler Moore show, uh, which he was on famously before The Love Boat. And it was really sad because he said, you know, Gavin, you're my brother, and we had a lot of great scenes together. And then he tagged Betty White in the tweet uh, saying, Betty, you and I are the only original ones left because, yeah, we've lost Cloris Leachman. We've lost Mary Tyler Moore. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a really sad day when, when somebody who figured that heavily and loomed that large in the American entertainment television landscape uh, you know, goes off to the great rewards. So it's just a terrible thing to see. But um, yeah, that's uh, he'll be missed for sure. Yeah, and I remember I tagged John uh, Champion, of course, in that when I saw that. And uh, yeah, John Champion, of course, being a huge fan of of the Love Boat. Uh, it's just, it's just you see, you hate to see it, but you do. unfortunately, it becomes more and more inevitable as the days go by. In fact, I find myself seeing whenever I see a picture of a celebrity on like a YouTube facebook video or whatever i always automatically assume someone has died and so every time someone posts a picture of betty white i'm like no oh, okay she's or if they there. start trending on facebook or, or uh, tw- twitter if their hashtag starts trending then you you know maybe something's up but yeah i hate that like nichelle yeah. nichols has been trending a lot lately like i had the same feeling with nichelle nichols recently of course from star trek she was the original ahura uh she has come out now with a movie called women in motion uh, which is what it's described as, and it says, Nichelle Nichols' daunting task to launch a national blitz for NASA, recruiting 8,000 of the nation's best and brightest, including the trailblazing astronauts who became the first African-American, Asian, and Latino men and women to fly in space. So this is the movie that she's out promoting right now, but she keeps popping up all over social media now, and every time I see a picture of her, I'm like, no, God, no. And I just... <laughs> Because I fucking I've met her. She's amazing. She's a wonderful human. Yeah. And just so influential in nerd media and nerd culture. So. But okay, so Betty White's still alive, at least as of this recording. Michelle Ed Nichols Asner's still okay. Ed Asner's uh. okay. Michelle Nichols is still okay as of now. We'll cross our fingers and just pray they keep living forever. Uh, some casting news. We talked last episode of. The Nerd News Nexus about all the casting rumors and confirmations for Knives Out, Ryan Johnson's sequel to Knives Out, uh, done by Netflix. Now we have an article saying, uh, Tommy Wiseau of The Room fame... Oh my goodness. ...is trying to get cast in Knives Out 2. Now he has not been cast in Knives Out 2. He wants to. He's petitioning to. Jesus, please no. Uh, But... He says that Hollywood is too afraid to cast him because of who he is and what he does. And 
I don't know if afraid for that reason is the right reason. I think they're afraid to cast him because he's a one-note pony. But, <laughs> but uh, what do you think of that? Tommy Wiseau in, in, a, in Ryan Johnson's new sequel. Well, I think, uh, you know, the, the Room definitely occupies a uh, an interesting place in the pop culture. It is one of those movies that people love to hate, and you can hate watch it, and it's... Uh, uh, it's not good. It's definitely not good. But um, <laughs> there is a certain bizarre, off-the-wall, weird-ass charm to it that has made it nonetheless very popular. Um, Jim, you know, you're I, tearing me apart! <laughs> when Tommy Wiseau showed up, I think it was the Golden Globes, and um, I want to say James Franco was getting an award for uh, having either written or directed or been in the movie. I don't really know. Cough, um, fuck James Franco. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's not... Uh, yeah, we don't, we don't, we're not going to talk about James Franco. No. Um, but uh, still, I mean, you know, he's, he's a, a weird guy, but he's got an undeniable charisma. Um, so I guess Who, yeah, I, we'll see Franco? what happens with that. Uh, I, fuck Franco. I'm talking about Wizow. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's a man of mystery. He's got a strange backstory. It's just there's, there's so much weird shit going on with him. And I, but but he, he, he does have an undeniable presence, you know, on the screen. Maybe they will cast him, but you know what? Cast him as a mime or something. Don't let him fucking talk. Just take away, cut his balls out from underneath him. I think that'd be great. <laughs> New casting news. Henry Cavill, our nerd favorite. Oh my God, love Henry Cavill. Superman, The Witcher. He has now been confirmed to be cast in the Highlander reboot. Uh, well, wow. you know, there can be only one. He is hitting all the right notes with all of his geek casting, which is so fun to see because he is such a representative part of nerd culture. And he's so enthusiastically geeky. Like, you can't see very many people in Hollywood who are this enthusiastically geeky. There's like Ryan Reynolds and I think Joe Manganiello and... A couple of people like that that are just yeah, Henry truly... Cavill. He, he very much admitted to playing the Witcher games when when he uh, got cast in the series, and he he has a, a very famous YouTube videos where he's building his own gaming PC. I mean, you know, this is the guy you definitely want to uh, to be representative of your nerd culture. Absolutely, and so I I fucking love it. I I'm I'm, I'm excited to see what he brings to the role. Of course, the original role played by Christopher Lambert, uh, of what was it? What was he Dutch? Was was Christopher Lambert? Dutch? I think he's Belgian. Belgian. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. He's Belgian. Uh, sorry, Chris. Didn't mean to uh, uh, miss culture. No, I, I did love that in the uh, in the original Highlander movie when you have a Belgian guy with a very thick French Belgian accent who's playing the uh, the Scottish hero, and then of course <laughs> his mentor is the very Scottish um, Sean Connery who is playing uh, a Spaniard. A of, <laughs> a Spaniard. Spaniard. Yeah, he's you know, <laughs> you know, 80s casting, ladies and gentlemen. That's what you get. Like, um, so yeah, I'm looking forward you to seeing that. Same, that you had the same shit with fucking... Like, I don't know what was wrong with making Christopher yeah, Lambert... My just, name is Sanchez. <laughs> I don't know what it was that they couldn't cast Christopher Lambert as a Belgian anything. But casting him as Raiden in the original Mortal Kombat movie was equal parts cringy and hilarious. Almost and, as bad as when they also cast Sean Connery as a uh, a Russian U-boat captain in The Hunt for Red October. And he never lost his Scottish accent never for once, a single frame. Never once. Yes, Dosh comrade. <laughs> you fucking love to see it. You love. Uh, to see okay, it. It, it, real quick. And I, I just heard this uh, not even yesterday, but in, in other casting news, um, Tatiana Maslany of uh, Orphan Black fame has apparently mm-hmm. joined the MCU as She Hulk. 
Yeah, now that that's been around for a while. Uh, they've they've been. I just heard it for the first time yesterday. They've been kind of fucking around with is she isn't she will she won't they but. Uh, yeah, right. she she is uh, the new uh, Jennifer Walters, cousin of Bruce Banner. So uh, they're bringing her for the She-Hulk TV show that they're doing for Disney+. And if uh, uh, previous entries into the MCU shows on Disney+, Plus are any indicator, it's going to fucking slap. I can't wait. Yeah. And, oh, let's see. And another casting news. This has also been lighting up the, uh, the, the, the nerd news nexus for a while. Go. Um... Neil Gaiman's Sandman series mm. has announced almost its full cast, and I've got the IMDb page up right here, and I'm <laughs> looking around, and it's it is it's 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 a Netflix series, but it's going to be off the fucking chain. Uh, Gwendolyn Christie of uh, Game of Thrones fame Brandon plays Tarth. Lucifer. Yeah. Oh. Um, Charles Dance, also of Game of Thrones, is going to be in this one. Uh, he's got Stephen Fry in here. Uh, John Cameron Mitchell, uh, Hedwig of the and the Angry Inch himself, is is it, who recently also did a really masterful supporting turn on A.D. Bryant's Hulu show Shrill. Uh, Patton Oswalt is going to play the voice of Matthew the Raven. Um, <laughs> David Thewlis is is going to be in there. Um, but the most interesting casting news to me. That he's getting a whole lot of flack over, but has actually already gone to the press to say, you know what, suck my dick over it. <laughs> it's the character of Death, typically portrayed you, as a uh, as as a, a a goth chick with a little uh, eye of Horace eye makeup and like a teased black hair, very much kind of looking like Susie of Susie and the Banshees, Susie Sue, uh, is going to be played by Kirby Howell Baptiste, an actress of Haitian descent. Ooh. So Death who is portrayed as pale white, death white in the comics, is going to be played by a, a, a black actress. And Oh my he, god. Neil I Gaiman love the been, fact that he tells him to suck yeah. his dick. I love that. Neil Gaiman's in the press right now saying, you know what, this is cast the way that, it, 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 you know, you might have an idea of how you want these characters to be and look, but fuck you. She's a fantastic actress. Uh, you, you think you know what to expect from the character, but like we got into a, a couple of times over many episodes of this podcast, toxic fandom, and ownership culture, people saying, oh, that's not what I wanted to see in my character because of whatever perceived prejudices or any uh, preconceived notions, whatever they have. He cast the best actress for the role for death, and he, regardless of how she looks in the comics, the actress he cast to play her happens to be black, and you know what? I'm with him on the whole suck my dick thing. I am. I, 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 don't, I don't have any patience anymore for anybody who is going to complain about colorblind casting. I just don't have time for it. I don't have patience for it. And I'm going to watch the shit out of this. They could cast anybody they wanted. The source material is so good. He's such a fantastic writer. I don't care. I'm going to see it regardless. And, and I, I can't wait to check it out. I absolutely agree. And, and like you said, uh, the time of, of just all white casts and whitewashing and all this shit in Hollywood is fucking done. And again, we have talked about this to death. And I swear to fuck, we're going to talk about it more. If you can't get on board with this, you don't deserve to be a part of the nerd culture. Because this is the nope. way shit needs to be. It's not about you all the time. It's long overdue. Fuck, I'm sick of white people. Anyways. Everybody deserves to be able to look up to heroes that look like them, that, that that to see themselves represented on screen. And the joy that you feel when you see a square-jawed, blue-eyed, blonde-haired Captain America punching out the Red Skull. Everybody deserves to have that joy. Seeing somebody who looks like them on the screen doing baller heroic things everybody deserves that and everybody's gonna get it and it's about fucking time absolutely i am fucking available for this so all right anyway sorry we got soapboxy there for a minute. <laughs> and that's a soapbox i will climb on to my deathbed mother effers get oh, on shit. board or get the fuck out of the way all right <clears throat> back to professional mm. 
<laughs> John Barrowman. I love John Barrowman. I'm going to say that unequivocally. Of uh, Doctor Who and Torchwood fame. Uh, he's in trouble. Uh, he has been pulled from an appearance on a Doctor Who uh, video game experience. Uh, planned to bring Captain Jack Harkness back. Uh, he has been pulled due to onset shenanigans from back in the day that have just now come to, uh, back to light. And uh, <sighs> I don't know, man. That is uh, a bummer. I know a lot of folks looked up to John Barrowman, not just for his involvement in that universe, but also because he's a very out and proud actor. So to see stuff like that happen and to hear about things like that is just really disheartening. And, uh, yeah, I'm not, I haven't really paid much attention. I'm not necessarily a Whovian. That's, that's one fandom that sort of passed me by. I respect it. Um, but I'm not really involved in that culture, but, uh, I know that he's quite well respected and quite beloved among those folks. And, and so I, I don't know what he's been accused of. I'm not really sure what, um, Oh, he, what the, he the was getting into shenanigans that. about like dangling his wang on stage as a joke. Mm. kind of thing and and i mean being just generally inappropriate and and unapologetically crass and rude and, and all that shit so uh i don't like it but yeah you know i get it it's something that people are going to have to understand and come to terms with it's this kind of behavior is not acceptable anymore and there are going to be repercussions for it uh, yeah. Speaking of repercussions for this, Kevin Spacey's got his new role in a new movie now. I did hear that. And uh, the sad part about that is, of course, the uh, one of the people that he was accused of having uh, assaulted, sexually assaulted, or, or had a hand in uh, uh, sexually assaulting, uh, has come out in just complete flabbergasted shock about the casting of this role because he was cast as a uh, uh, police... Uh, operative of some sort. I haven't fully caught up on this, but as an operative who uh, investigates sexual assault. And so the irony there is, is too fucking gross. And and of course, it's not being made in the States. It's a foreign film. And of course, I think... There are might... certain things within, like, the, you know, the, the sparkling consequences realm that you can come back from. And we talked very, very uh, extensively uh, several uh, podcasts ago about the actress who shall remain nameless, who is Cara Dune on The Mandalorian, and James Gunn, and the differences in, in what it is that they did and how they reacted to it. Um, they did inappropriate stuff, uh, but James Gunn apologized for it and said, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've changed, I'm not that guy anymore, give me another chance, whereas she doubled down and said, yeah, I said what I said. But regardless of of trying to come back or trying to apologize or trying to make amends or trying to make a return to public life, uh, Kevin Spacey doesn't get that right. He's canceled forever. Kevin Spacey... What he did was so horrible, so egregious, and so awful, and went on for so long unchecked that there's just, you know, there's there's certain things that are forgivable. There's certain things that are at least, okay, you know what? You're expressing the appropriate amount of contrition. We'll give you a second chance on this one. But Kevin Spacey doesn't get that. He's no. one of the guys, what he did and what he is responsible for, he's not coming back from that. And I really hope whoever casts him in a movie loses their ass on that movie. Because, absolutely you know, do. boycotts, Letters written, the whole cancel culture slash sparkling consequences thing is obviously very hot button issue, especially in the geek community. But there are certain things that are undeniable, and uh, you know, it's what he did was just inexcusable, and he's done. Period. End of story. No reprieve. Agreed. Speaking of people canceled for sexual assault and bad shit, Megadeth uh. 
has posted oh, that shit. they are parting ways with guitarist, uh, founding guitarist Dave Elfson. Over, That's so disappointing. It is. And, I mean, I am a huge Megadeth fan. I have been a Megadeth fan as long as I've been into music. Um, and let me just clarify. When I say that's so disappointing, I mean not that Megadeth is canning his ass. I'm talking about what it is that he's done. That's the part I'm he, disappointed He by. was, I guess, trolling for online booty and was hitting on fucking underage kids. Which you and I know nothing 16, about. 17-year-old kids. Yeah, we don't know anything about that. Cough, cough. Dateline NBC, cough, cough, we fucking rule. Hello. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so they've canned Dave Elfson. They're still moving forward with their planned tour coming up, and uh, uh, they're just going to grab another guitar player, I guess, and keep moving forward, which is something that they're going to have to do anyways. But, yeah, fucking, that's a blow. Uh, yeah, it both, really is. Both in the fact that I, I really, really enjoyed his guitar playing over the years, but also the fact that, you know what, like you said, what he's done is just kind of unforgivable. So yeah, it really is. Certain things you can give people a pass on; other things are just you. You don't come back from that. You just don't. All right. I've got one more negative news article, and then we'll fucking go back to a couple of popular upbeat articles. We have a radio host who has abruptly ended his show after being told that he can't joke about Demi Lovato being non-binary. If there's anyone who has uh, been paying attention to popular culture as of recently, uh, Demi Lovato has come out as non-binary, preferring, of course, the they-them pronouns, which is absolutely their right, absolutely their purview. It's their life, their choices. And uh, not everybody sees it that way, of course. It's going to be some right-wing douchebag that has something to Let me guess. It's an old it. white guy. I would imagine so. I could click the link, but I don't give a fuck. Again, I'm so sick of white people shit that I could just fucking choke. Uh, and I'm be, definitely me being sick of white, white people shit. Me being a white people, that says something, so. I am white people and I'm fucking tired of white people. Just end your white people fucking nonsense. You don't run the fucking universe. You're not the default demographic. You don't get a say in how other people live their lives. Worry about your own shit. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put this guy on blast here. Hang on a second. Okay, so this radio host is, of course, the host of Maddie in the Morning Show on KISS 108 in Boston, Massachusetts. Matt Siegel, we're calling you out by name, Matt, because fuck you, uh, walked off of his show on May 19th, 2021, uh, after, let's see, he was talking about Demi Lovato, and uh, his producer came forward and said that he couldn't do that, and he shouldn't do that, and uh, he comes back and says, I was just told... And it's nothing personal because I like my boss, but he just called and said, I have to stop talking about what I've been talking about about this morning. This is why I got rich, okay? Because I told it like it is to my listeners for 40 bleeping years. They pulled the plug on me and said, you can't talk about what you're talking about. I like my boss personally. I do. I'm very fond of him. He's been very nice to me. It's not personal. It's professional, he said. He doesn't want me talking about this. Well, today I was anti-wokeness. And I can't do that. So basically what I'm told is I could talk about light, funny things like where the Jonas Brothers are going to do and be, but I can't do what I really want to do, which is just be a funny comic and tell it like it is. So I'm ending my portion of the radio show right now. It has been a hell of a run, but I think it's coming to an end. Being a funny comic, because there's nothing that's funnier than picking out LGBTQ people. Right. He said... I'm against her binary thing. I think she's a troubled woman and a lot of young people are taking her seriously as it bothers me. 
But of course, it's a comedy show, so I did it in the context of jokes. We were having fun with it. My boss called up and said that I'd crossed the line, and they didn't want me talking about it anymore. And I responded by saying, if I can't talk about what I'm thinking about at this point in my career, I don't want to be on the radio anymore. Well, fucking das Vidanya, dude. We'll see you fucking later. Then uh, perish. Nothing of value was lost. And, and, and shout out, I don't know the producer's name, but shout out to that producer for telling him like it is and taking that stand because you're absolutely right. That is not something to be fucking joked about. That isn't comedy. That's hatred. That's bullshit. That is a person's personal identity, which is an incredibly precious thing. And I just, you know, I, I saw a comic the other day that really, this is a two panel comic on Instagram and it was just really summed it up for me where somebody was looking at a, a phone in the comic and said, oh, well, now Demi Lovato wants to go by gender binary pronouns. Who cares? And then another person in the, uh, a frame later said, oh, look, she doesn't care about pronouns. Hey, what do you mean she? I'm a guy. He, he. So the irony of these people just denying somebody else's right to live their life the way they want, to identify the way they want, to be seen the way they want. But the second that they themselves have that particular right in their own lives challenged, they're going to defend that shit until they're blue in the face. And you see it over and over again, the hypocrisy of that. You know, and like I said, no one's sad to see you go, fuck off, die, whatever, you're done. I, I never heard of you before, and I don't care about you now. The show's better off without you, I'm sure. Whatever they've replaced and you with, even if it's radio static. So is the static, world. Even yeah. if it's radio static, I'd rather listen to that. So, that is the last negative news article. we got a couple more to talk about before we wrap it up here. Uh, one of the cool things that I read, J.J. Abrams has confirmed that a Portal movie is still in the works. Now, how exciting is this? Portal is one of my favorite properties, uh, video game-wise, uh, over the last couple of decades. And, and, I'm making uh, a note here. Huge success. <laughs> Absolutely. If you don't get the reference, go play Portal. It's fantastic. Um, easily one of the best franchises, one of the most sinister villains that I've run across in video games in recent memory, mm -hmm. in GLaDOS, and... Uh, uh, the the and property Wheatley, the number two. Raw well, Wheatley was kind of a bumbling idiot, but he did turn out to be a hell of a foil. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, for one, am super uh, pumped on this because there's a lot of rumors going around that that property has just been left to wither on the vine, and of course it hasn't. Thankfully, uh, we don't know a time frame for it. We just know that it's still on JJ's radar uh, with Bad Robot, and so it is still going to be done. <laughs> Ironic that it's done by a company called Bad Robot. <laughs> That's funny. Seems fitting somehow. Right, uh, but uh, Portal is still a go, which means maybe we'll get more Portal games, too, which I am super excited about. Valve famously cannot count to three, but, you know, this is one of the ones that I really have always hoped they'd dust off. It's been years. Portal 2 was an Xbox 360 game. That's how long ago that we, we got a new Portal game. Uh, so I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing if maybe that will reawaken interest in the franchise and the video game wing of it. And I'd love to see more of those games because, as good as Portal was, Portal Two was even better. And I would love to see what uh, what uh, the Valve folks would do with Portal Three. So get off your ass, Gabe. Let's start counting to three again. Absolutely. Uh, a couple more. Let's see. Looks like, and these are both PlayStation news articles, sort of. Uh, PlayStation is outselling Xbox, Microsoft's Xbox, by almost a two to one margin. And anyone who has bought next gen consoles knows this to be true. That's not to denigrate or, or take lightly what Microsoft's contribution to the company is or to the to the game sphere at large is, but PlayStation's kicking their ass. I mean, and that's just to be given. 
Uh, and it's unfortunate to see that because, I mean, really that's kind of the way it was in the last generation. Of course, the PS2 was still, I think, the best-selling game console of all time. Maybe the PS3, I don't know which one. It's one of those two. But I really think that Microsoft, when they went on their massive buying spree towards the end of the life cycle of the Xbox One, buying up companies like Bethesda and Ninja Theory and Double Fine and all these third-party developers and bringing them into the fold, I think that was, it was, not even think, it was pretty obviously an attempt on their part to deep-six the criticism of people saying that, that PlayStation and Sony had the better uh, lineup of first-party yeah. titles. Yeah, better, better, better exclusives. So Microsoft went on a real, uh, a real buying spree and, and picked up all those studios in, in hopes of staving off that, uh, that attitude and that, that perception. Um, and so far, it really hasn't panned out that way, obviously. Not but yet, what I'm hoping but... is, you know, once we actually get past whatever this supply chain issue is, whether it's the microprocessors or whatever it is that's, that's making these consoles still so scarce eight months after their supposed release... I think once we start to get a better installed user base of these consoles, um, especially when uh, when Xbox picks up with uh, with coming out with because that's the thing, the games that we have now still we talked about this a couple of weeks ago again are still the kind of games that are coming out on as playable on both previous generation and current generation consoles. You're going to be able to play them on Xbox One and Series X as well as PS4 and PS5. There are very few games right now that are exclusive to next generation platforms. Very very few, but the release dates of these developers are going to have to start picking up if they want to make their their uh, their, their money back and within a, a reasonable time frame with like you know quarterly release schedules. So there are going to be more games that are coming out that will be exclusive to the current generation consoles, and at that point the there might be a sea change. I don't think two to one is necessarily a, uh, a an unclosable gap. I don't think it's it's necessarily a done deal for this generation. <laughs> and again, not that I'm going to begrudge uh, Sony the, uh, the the success on that. I'm not that diehard of an Xbox fan, but I have both consoles, and I did last generation as well. But I really do want to see those investments pay off for Microsoft. I want to see the next Fallout or the next Elder Scrolls. Or I think Microsoft might have even bought Arcane Studios, so any Dishonored games going forward are going to be, if not exclusive, at least uh, timed exclusive on the Xbox platform. So I really just want to see some of these investments that Microsoft made pay off. Um, even though I, I do own both consoles, I still I don't want to see Microsoft continue to fall behind for another generation in terms of sales and, and, and user base. I just think they've got a, a much better product now than they've ever had before, and I want to see that pay off for them. And I'm, I didn't even tell you the best part about that article. Hmm. The best part about that news story is, yes, PlayStation is outselling uh, Xbox uh, 2 to 1, but they're not even winning the console wars right now. Not even close. It's not really? even close. Nintendo well, is, Nintendo? is yeah. kicking the shit out of PlayStation. With good reason. The Switch is fantastic hardware. And Nintendo has even announced that their PlayStation... Or PlayStation. Nintendo has even announced that their uh, Switch Pro is probably going to be coming out at the end of the year. Probably around September. And hey, yo, uh, gotta make that holiday release window. We've talked that a little bit last episode of this, but... Uh, uh, yeah, they're still plugging ahead and moving forward and uh, 4K TV visuals and, and bigger screen. Uh, just, oh, it's going to be fantastic. So uh, Nintendo, this generation, is putting up a hell of a fight. Whereas before they lost with the Wii U and the Wii, potentially the Wii was, was groundbreaking, but not a huge, huge thing like, uh, like, like this is. This Switch is just something fucking off the fucking chain. It's a yeah. no pun intended game changer. Yeah. Switched it up, didn't they? Hey, oh, dad hey, jokes. Hey, that's all I got. 
Last thing up, uh, details about the PlayStation 5 version of their VR system uh, have been uh, rampant in the news lately. Uh, this time they're talking about the controllers, uh, which uh, as of uh, the previous version were always uh, utilized either with the DualShock controller or the uh, DualSense controller if you're playing it on the PS5, uh, or the Move controllers, uh, which are the sticks that they created way back in the PlayStation 3 era. But now with the new design for the PlayStation uh, 5 version of the VR unit, looks like the controls are going to be more in line with what you get with your uh, Oculus systems and your HTC Vibes with the controller with the little halo over your hand and everything. Uh, uh, yeah. Looking to do something like high def graphics. Uh, no word on whether or not it's going to be wireless yet. I really hope it is. God, I really hope it is. Um, because anyone who looks up at my ceiling, if you can look up here, Jim, you can see... Uh, there's cords attached to my ceiling right there. And yeah. that is my PS5 whip because I don't want to have to unwire it all the time. So I would welcome a wireless interface. I would pay extra money for it. So that, my friends, is volume two of the Fuel Your Fandom Nerd News Nexus. Let us know what news articles we didn't talk about. What did we miss? What did we... Uh, what should we talk about next time? What did, what did you find in the news that you found interesting? Hit us up. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fandom. You can hit us up on our Gmail, which is fuelyourfandom at gmail.com. Or pie recipes, oh, topic yeah. suggestions, guest suggestions, and personal thoughts. Go to fyftalentbooking at gmail.com. And, of course, if you want to find us on your favorite streaming platforms, you can get us wherever fine podcasts are available. Stitcher, uh, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you go. And our primary streaming site that will always have the latest and greatest episode can be located, as always, at fuelyourfandom.buzzsprout.com. Uh, so from us to you, I want to thank you guys for listening uh, to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. And do remember what I always try to remind you. Everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take it. Way to go. Two in one day. Want to do another one? Woohoo! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <I'm>... <laughs>